doing for the church. I don't know how you're feeling about the climate in our nation and the climate uh, in the spiritual world or the church world today, but we are in some challenging times. And uh, especially those of us that are a little on the older side of life, we can look over our shoulder and have a comparison point uh, of different times and in different climates in our in our country. And uh, we are living we are living in challenging times, but the challenging times that we are in in this nation and we are in as the body of Christ in this nation is not unique. It may be unique in the issues surrounding it, but the church of Jesus Christ has always been challenged. It's always had points of challenge, persecution, pushback. In fact, the book of Acts chronicles many times, and we're only going to look at one today, where the culture, the emperor's, the religious leaders of the day pushed against this new thing called the church, trying to snuff it out, trying to take out the leadership, trying to take out the voice of the gospel, the message of the resurrected Christ, trying to diminish it, put it to the side, make it less important because it was threatening. It was threatening to the religious hierarchy. It was threatening to the political climate. It was threatening even to the culture of the day, the church of Jesus Christ was moving in an advance that was a threat to the world around it. It hasn't changed much over the last 2,000 years. The church of Jesus Christ is always countercultural. It always pushes against the world. Jesus even said it. In this world, you will have trouble or tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So we are among the overcomers today, the overcomers of the world. But don't be surprised that the world will press. The world will try to push back. The world will try to annihilate the gospel and the gospel message and belief in Christ. Not to be a surprise to us today. Have you ever held an unpopular opinion? Boy, it must be right on the front burner of your mind. You could all go there pretty quick. Have you ever held an unpopular opinion? Maybe it was with your husband or your wife. You're believing in something and holding to something and maybe they don't agree. Maybe it's an unpopular opinion in your workplace. Something that you stand for, believe in, hold to. And it could even be something as trivial as I believe ketchup on hot dogs is better than mustard on hot dogs. That's my opinion. Or it could be something as deep as your core value. Something that you hold closest to your heart. That isn't shared with those that you work with in your workplace. Have you ever tried to defend yourself in that opinion? Has it ever come to a head where you've got to state the reasons for your opinion, the criteria for your beliefs, the underpinnings of your values? It's kind of come to a head. It's time to put it out there, put it on the line, say what you think, say what your convictions are. 
You see, sometimes public pressure helps us re-examine poorly thought-out ideas or hidden prejudices. Sometimes pressure is a good thing. It forces us to go back and say, do I really believe what I say I believe? Do I really value what I say I value? Will I hold on to it? Will it be a conviction that guides my life? Or is it something that I can easily discard and put off to the side when the pressure comes? That's a concern that I have for the church in America today. Will the pressure, will the push of the culture cause believers in the church to say, I'll let go of that. I'll let that go. Too much pressure. I'm being labeled. I'm being ostracized. I'm being affected. It's inconvenient. I'm being mistreated. Something is happening to me that's adverse. And so therefore, in light of that, I let go of it. I let go of what was the value or the conviction. There are times where pressure should cause us to introspect and evaluate our belief, our values, our convictions. And in that reevaluating, we should come out with a stronger commitment to those values, to those opinions, to those convictions. But there is also a time when pressure calls us to maintain our belief, hold on to our values, and commit to them even more deeply despite prevailing opinion. Pressure can cause us to let go or pressure can cause us to go deep. Pressure can cause us to examine and take hold of once again with depth what we truly believe. Peter and John had such an opportunity as the early church was moving ahead in Acts chapter 4. Are you there? Nod your head if you're there. Nod your head if you're awake. I check occasionally. Sometimes the eyes close. And if you're blinking, that's good. If it's more than like a 15-second thing and I pan back around, I know something else has happened. You're in Tahiti or somewhere. I, I don't know. Somewhere warm. But Acts chapter 4 kind of comes on to the church. Because the first three chapters in the book of Acts really give us a wonderful picture of the church. The church was thriving. The church was blossoming. It was growing. It was, it was, it was acquiring folks. It was, it was moving forward. If you remember, it starts out with an encounter of the Holy Spirit with 120 of them in the upper room. And after waiting and seeking and praying, they had an awesome, supernatural, out-of-the-box experience. Something that I'm sure they never thought would happen when Jesus said, and when I go away, I will send another comforter to come, and he will come and he will live with you and he will fill you. I'm wondering what those 120 thought. Oh, this could be something very similar to our encounter with the physical Jesus. And isn't it just like the Lord to say, I'm bringing something to you that's completely going to blow you away. (laughs) Yeah, it blew him away. Uh, figuratively and literally, (laughs) 
The wind of the Spirit came. They had an out-of-the-box experience with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came and filled them, filled them with other tongues, caused them to be bold in their witness for Christ. And Peter, flimsy Peter, shifting Peter, cowardly Peter, as a result, stands up and gives one of the most powerful messages in Scripture on that day. So the church was like jumping up and down. The church was excited. This is awesome. The Holy Spirit has visited with us, empowered us, filled us. In fact, look at Peter, night and day, totally different guy, filled with the Spirit of God. And as a result, 3,000 people come to know Christ. And the word there in the Greek indicates that it was men, not only meaning physical men, but households, leaders of households. So the idea there is 3,000 men plus. Could you just imagine That's almost a tenth of the population of Stowe. Could you imagine if on a given Sunday we had 3,000 conversions in this church? Or even in all the churches combined in Stowe. That would be almost a tenth of the city of Stowe. They had 3,000. And this was just on the very first opportunity for preaching that was going on in the early church. They grew from 120 to 3,000 after one sermon. Can you imagine? And that's, that's like Billy Graham. That's like a Billy Graham thing. Not only that, but the church was becoming unified. They were building a unified church. They were devoted to each other. They had everything in common. And then from that relationship with one another, Peter and John in chapter 3 are on their way to the temple for daily prayer. And they see beside the temple gates a beggar who is crippled, probably had seen him many times before. The scripture tells us about he's about 40 years of age, crippled from birth, had probably sat there for years and years receiving alms that the religious would give him in order for his needs to be met. And you know the story. Peter and John come by and the crippled calls out. Will you come? Will you save me? Will you give to me? And remember, Peter and John turn and say, silver and gold, money, I don't have to give to you. But such as I have, the power of God that is in me, I give that to you. And we know the story. The crippled man rises up and he begins to walk. In fact, the scripture says he runs and he leaps and he praises God. Could it be any better? I mean, could the church be doing any better than that? Visitation of the Holy Spirit, powerful message of Peter, 3,000 new people at church that weren't here the last Sunday, and then a healing, a miraculous healing, completely unexpected. But yet it happened and the word began to spread. And not only did the word spread to the common folks, but the hierarchy, the religious leaders, the elders, the teachers of the law, the Sanhedrin began to hear all those followers of Jesus. Something's up. Something's going on. People are attracted to this message. People are coming out of the woodwork to hear about this Jesus. We thought that he was dead and buried and gone. We thought that it was over. And now this band of believers, this growing and thriving band of believers, is now putting his name in front of us again. And so we see in chapter 4, if you'll look with me in verse 1, 
we begin to see the scenario and how it starts to play out for this early church. Verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. This gospel thing is just taking off. I mean, all Jesus has to do is be preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit for who he is, and it's like a magnet. It's like a convicting magnet in the hearts of the people. And they begin to respond. And now again, responding again to the truth of Jesus. Meanwhile, the leaders of the church are arrested. Set back. Peter and John, the primary leaders of the church. Be like coming in here and Pastor Cindy and Pastor Matt have been arrested. Now, if I would have said that 20 years ago, you would have thought, no way, no how. That could never happen in the old U.S. of A. We don't know what could take place in the years to come. We certainly know, unfortunately, that in some houses of worship, guns have been pulled. Correct? Persecution has been happening in the church of Jesus Christ within this nation in varying ways. Here, Peter and John arrested, detained, taken The opposition begins to set in by the religious and the political leaders. The priest, the captain of the temple guard, is named here. The Sadducees, or the religious supreme court of the day, gets into the picture here. These are the leaders of the Jews. These are the wealthy. These are the ones that have consorted with the Roman government to maintain position and wealth. There was power here. This just wasn't a ragtag group of religious people that thought, we'll just detain Peter and John, no, these are people with authority. And so they detain them, they arrest them. There's an issue here that they had with Peter and John. And the issue was this, verse 2, teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. What's the big deal? The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. There was no such thing to the Sadducees, and to preach such would be heresy or blasphemy. To preach such would be to say there is a religious figure who has overcome what you and I could never overcome, and that is the grave. And they were saying Jesus indeed was not only crucified, but he has risen from the dead and he is alive. And that just took the message to, this, to the Sadducees like a knife in the side. Ooh. If this Jesus that they're speaking of indeed has risen from the dead, our theology is sunk. Our control of the people religiously, it's over. We've lost The result, an overnight arrest. And notice as we move on to to verse 5, the opposition continues. It wasn't over with just one night. 
Now the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, and the family of the high priests get into the picture here in verse 5. And then in verse 7, they are brought before this group of hierarchy and they are questioned. And notice the question. By what power or what name did you do this? We recognize that this beggar, this crippled man who's been crippled for many years is now healed. We're going to accept the fact that that happened. How did it happen? How was this done? In what name was this done? And notice here, is there any drawing back? Is there any ab dee 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 Is there any ah 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 well ah As they come out of the prison thinking we could go back in. <laughs> they could put us back there for days and weeks and years and months. I mean we could we could go back into the prison. They could take our lives. We could be ostracized. We could be asked to, to leave this this region. So there could have been a lot of reasons for Peter and John to kind of just back up. Well, you know, it wasn't such a big deal. We think that kind of we think God was involved, of course. I mean, he, he's, he's able to walk. So we'll give we'll give the glory to God. That could have been acceptable because the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees would have thought God, Yahweh, the God of our fathers, the God that we call the people to worship. We're accepting of that. But you see here in verse 7 and verse 8, there's no backpedaling for Peter and John. Verse 8 especially. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, watch this, ruler and elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and everyone else in Israel. In other words, let's make it public. Let's go public with this. This isn't just something I'm going to confess to you. I'm going to make a public statement here. And it's okay that all of Israel knows. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Ooh, that this man stands before you completely Healed. He is, speaking of Jesus, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Quote scripture to them. Scripture that they knew very well from Psalm 118. And then verse 11 or verse 12. And if you haven't underlined this one in your Bible, this one's worth the highlighter. This one's worth the the pen. Right here. This one, my friends, is even worth the memory. This one. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Wow. Step out, Peter and John. I mean, step into the spotlight. Don't mince words. Speak it like it really is. They really came out. And they not only said, this is for your ears, but let Israel know. Just tell the whole nation. Make it a national message. 
Put it on TV. Get it on the Internet and tweet it if you want. This is where I'm coming from. This is what I have to say. This is what you need to take notice of. No drawing back. No reworking of their ideas. Uh, just a second. Um, we, need a, we need just a, a private consultation over here. We need a little sidebar communication. Peter, you know, are you really sure we want to be this bold with it? I mean, we could offend. Yeah, I know, John. I, I know you want to do the loving thing. You want to do the, the, the easy thing. You, you, want to, you want to soft pedal it. I understand. You don't want it to be offensive. No, they were just out. Straight out with the truth and the bluntness of the gospel. Peter goes to the core of the message. His explanation of the kindness and the healing. He wants all Israel to know it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And notice how he sticks it to him. You crucified him. Did you see that there? You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. His death was on your account. You saw it through. And the very thing that theologically you don't espouse to, God did it. He raised him from the dead. Wow. He's not only raised from the dead, he's the cornerstone. And in verse 12, the only source of salvation. You would think then that the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the rulers and the elders would back up and go, wow, okay. We're impressed. We're affected by what you say. It's okay. I think we need to... to Give an ear. I think we need to give a listen to to what they're bringing to us. No, the pushback comes. Look at verse 16. What are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Be quiet. Shut up. You say shut up in church? We never could say shut up when we were little. Times have changed. But basically the religious leaders are saying to these men on the authority and the position that we have, which was great. We're telling you no more. No more. I know that you have, but you're not. I know that you did, but do not. No more. Be quiet about Jesus. Be quiet about the healing. Be quiet about the salvation. Be quiet about the crucifixion. Be quiet about the resurrection. Be quiet. There's plenty of other things to talk about. Find something else to talk about. So there was a pushback. But then as we go on in verse 19, there was a resolve. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight To obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Respectfully said, but firmly spoken, no. Appreciate where you're coming from. Understand why you had to say that. But bottom line is, I cannot quit talking about 
what I have seen and heard. I'm sorry. It's going to continue. Basically, in, in other words, he told, they told the Sanhedrin there, the things that I have been saying, I will continue to say. I will continue to speak. Impressive. Impressive picture of this baby church. The baby church didn't have doctrine written down yet. They didn't have theology formed yet. They didn't have a pastoral staff. They didn't have a budget. They didn't have anybody to go out on visitation. They didn't have anybody to serve communion, lead worship. They didn't have a highly organized and structured organization. But they had boldness. And they had the power to stand. And they weren't going to let the culture speak over them, silence them, push them back. They didn't have everything that the organized church has today. But my friends, they had something that the organized church needs something so desperately. And it's the boldness to speak it out. And notice, they were not offensive. They were not belligerent. They weren't disrespectful. They were very respectful. And so are we to be, as Peter tells us in his epistle. That we are to to show honor and respect when we share the truth of Jesus. But we are not to be so honoring and respecting to the point where we dilute the message and wash it down. So we take a lesson here from this early church. An impressive lesson. They were challenged and they were arrested and they were threatened and they were told and they were instructed. But they dug deep. They dug deep to the core of their faith and it was sure and it was true and they stood and they spoke and they continued. And aren't you glad that they did? I sit here today because they did. You sit here today because somebody dug deep. Sometimes the pressure makes us dig deep. Oh, wouldn't it be nice that when the pressure came, all we would have to do is just hold on and wait for the storm to go by. Oh, I hope I make it. Oh, I made it good. No, we have to dig deep. We have to go deeper. When the pressure comes, the thing to think about is not when will it be over, but where should I go to dig deeper? I've got to have a stronger foundation. I've got to have something more secure. Last week's experience won't hold me. Last, my last time with the Lord won't do it for me. The day is different. I'm in a new place. I need something more. And the church knew how to do that. Even in their young age, the church stood. The church stood in verse 12 for salvation in Christ alone. That is not a popular message for us today. And it will not get any more popular. It will not. But that is the freeing message. That is the message that has power. It's the only one. It's the only one. Tolerance has has no power. Relevance has no power. Soft peddling things has no power. Where is the power? The power is in Jesus, crucified and risen from the dead. That's the power of the gospel that we have to continually give out. Hold on to and share. Dig deeper to stand on and give out 
It's not going to be popular and it's not going to be part of the tolerance that people are looking for. It's not going to be. But remember, Jesus said, I've come to bring an offense. He associated his gospel message with those that would not be willing to receive. It would create an offense. People are offended. People can be offended by the truth of the gospel, the cross, power of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Yet the church stood. Will the church in America stand? Will the church hold to this truth, to this value? This is one that under the pressure should not be let go of. If we, as the church of Jesus Christ in America, let go of Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation, we've, let, we've lost the power. We've lost the power for salvation, for changed lives, for healing. The power has been let go of. This church stood for salvation. This church stood for the cross and for the resurrection of Christ as the cure for man's ills. Let me say this. The remedy, and this is my little quote, in case you're wondering where I got this from. It's not profound, but it's mine. The remedy for the social ills, the challenges to the definition of family and marriage, and the issues regarding to life is not in legislative or political sources, but at the cross. It's at the cross. Why do we hang on our political system the things that the church of Jesus Christ should preach and live? Why do we do that? The church has usurped her authority in the world today and has looked to political systems to say, solve it, define it, fix it, do it, take care of. We've hung so much on the political system. We need to take some of the hangers off the line and put them back on to the church. What is the solution to the issues regarding life and the sanctity of life? Where are the answers to some of those crucial, crucial issues? At the foot of the cross. Where are the answers to same-sex marriage? An oxymoron, I think. But where are the answers to that issue that we face in this country? Is it on a political candidate? My friend, it is not. The solution to the issues that are underpinning that issue is in the cross. Because the cross deals with issues of waywardness and sin and things that create messes in society. The cross is the answer. People are not willing to go to the cross. People are not willing to embrace the cross and what the cross says. The cross has a message. First of all, the cross defines sin. Oh, we don't. Oh, boy. No, don't go there. I have to. The cross defines sin. What God made punishment for. The cross reminds us that there's punishment for sin. The cross holds the only one whose blood cleanses from sin. The cross provides the power over sin to those who lay their lives down there. 
The reason the cross doesn't have the power practically in lives is because people will not lay their lives down there. If people would lay their lives and surrender at the cross, the cross would take care of the sin problem. The cross would be effective, efficacious, the scripture says. It will do the work, the work of cleansing and forgiving and healing and mending and restoring and transforming. The cross will do the work. The question is, will we lay our lives down at the cross? We have to for the cross to do its work. And so the social ills and the questions that we have in this country, the answer is the cross. And there's no politician that will hold the cross or should hold the cross as high as the church. The church should be the holder of the cross, holding up high the cross as the only redemption, as the only solution for the ails of the nation and of the world. So it's important for us in these days to evaluate and know our values and our convictions, to dig deeper, to hold on to them, to demonstrate a conviction of the truth. Because as we stand and we hold tightly to the things that are true, our conviction will strengthen. I love what Rich Mullins said a long time ago. He's with the Lord today when he wrote the song, The Creed. And he lists in that song all the doctrinal truth that we espouse to. And I love in, his, in, the, in the refrain of the song, he says, I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God. In other words, it's not a conviction that I hold. It's a conviction that holds me. I hope you have some of those convictions that no matter what will happen, it will hold you and you're not going to move. But this is happening. Well, this is happening. Well, this person got elected. Well, this is going on in my workplace. Well, people are thinking this now. My friends are over here. My friends are thinking this. My friends are accepting this. My friends are moving this way. Well, what about you? Is it holding you? Or is it something that you hold? Because if you're holding it, you can let go. But if it holds you, you're going to die with that conviction. Because it's eternal. And it transcends. So standing brings conviction. Standing also brings clarity. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5:14, "You are the light of the world." You are the light. We are collectively and we are individually. And when the light stands, the light is clear. And there are people looking for clarity. It's gloomy. You think today is gloomy outside? The culture and our society is gloomy. It's foggy. It's gray. It's hard to see in this culture today. And people are looking for the light. Where is clarity? Where is conviction? Where is truth? And yes, they need to look up. But they're not looking up. They're looking over and over and over. They're just looking around 
And they're looking at you and they're looking at me and they're trying to find clarity. They're trying to find the light. And when we stand for truth, our light is like that light Jesus talks about. A city set upon a hill. That no one lights a light and puts it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. It's not meant to be hid under a bushel. But Jesus says it's meant to be placed on a stand. A prominent place so that everyone around it can benefit from the light. We are the light. How bright are we? How bright are we? When we stand, we turn up the wattage. When we stand for truth, like this early church, the voltage comes up. The brightness increases. And we become more of the light that Jesus has called us to. It brings clarity. And then finally, standing brings power. So much power that notice there's salvations that continue to happen. And remember, when the political leaders saw the courage of Peter and John, verse 13, with this we'll close, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. These guys were not PhDs. They weren't even extremely smart. They were fisher guys. They just were common, ordinary men. Unschooled, uneducated. But they were so committed to Christ that there was a power that came from them that even the religious recognized. Like, this is something they've got. I don't have it. It was something that drew a contrast, so much so that the religious leaders went, we don't have this. We've been studying this our whole lives. We've been religious leaders our whole lives. We've risen to all these positions on our own. But you know what? These guys have something that we don't even have. And they were astonished, the scripture says. And they took note. Do you see it there? That these men had been with Jesus. What made the difference? What was the power source that helped these men stand? They had been and continued to be with Jesus. The physical Jesus before the ascension, but the spirit of Jesus through the Holy Spirit after his ascension. Something transformed these men that were ordinary And it was the presence of God. They took time to be with Jesus. How will the church in this day stand? How are we going to stand? Well, we're going to read more books. We're going to get politically involved. We're going to be able to debate issues. All of those things are wonderful and we should have the ammunition and we should have the knowledge and we should have the ability to 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 talk, to converse. But there's only one power that will bring change, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit that comes from being with Jesus. When you and I are with Jesus in his word and in prayer, the Holy Spirit comes and fills and fills and fills and fills and builds up and strengthens and emboldens and brings courage and lifts us up and prepares us to step in when the pressure comes. And instead of stepping back, we step up. 
Instead of shifting back, we stand up and we say there is salvation in none other. For there is only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And we step up and then we watch the power of God move just like Peter and John. They were astounded at what the spirit of God did because they stepped up. And how did they step up? They stepped up by kneeling down. They were able to step up because they had been kneeling down. And they knew where the power was. And the power was being in the presence of Jesus. That's what will hold the church in this day. It won't be putting on our political boxing gloves. and It won't be in getting into the educational dimensions of conversations and discussions, although it's good to have knowledge. But the power for the church to stand in this day is kneeling, is getting into the presence of Jesus. I would venture to say for most of you, and myself included at times, that doesn't happen very often. Now, I'm not talking about I read my Bible for 10 minutes every day and go on to work. That's wonderful. That's a discipline that's important. It sets your mind for the day. It sets the course of your life for the day. Very important. I'm not putting that down in the slightest. But there is a difference between that and carving out time to get with the Lord. Get in his word. Open your heart to him. Listen for him. Read his word. Camp there. Ask him to fill you. Ask him to stir you. Ask him to pour in. Because we are so empty without that. And that's where the filling happens. And as a result, that's where the power comes from. You might say, I wish I could be a more powerful Christian. Like this person. Like that person. Like somebody in the media. Somebody on TV. Somebody that you respect. I wish I could preach like John Piper. You know, I wish I could be a Louis Giglio and do massive things for God. You know what? If I had Louis Giglio here this morning, if I had John Piper here this morning, if I had your, the greatest preacher that you could ever imagine here this morning, their power in ministry does not come from anywhere but this. Oh, God. Oh, God. Fill me. Anoint me. Minister to me. Teach me. Feed me. That's where their power is. And why would it be any different for us? Why would it be any different for us? It's a challenge for us today because we're going to have to dig deeper. We're going to have to dig deeper to stand in these days. Let's pray. Father, in this series of messages, you've... um, been trying through Pastor Matt and myself to um, emphasize and bring back in different ways a common message. A common message that is important for your church in this time because you are a relevant God, because you are a God of specific time. You see your church in this world today, and you're trying to get a word to your church. 
It's time for us to dig deeper. It's time for us to not just talk about spending time with you, but really to spend that time. To really bring our lives into a place where we are with you. We are in time with you. We are in your word. We are in prayer. We dig deeper. And so, Lord, I pray that the lives of Peter and John would encourage us today and speak really strongly to us. What wonderful men. I thank you for their lives, Lord. We are living the good news today because of men just like this who were willing to dig deeper, be with you, and stand up. And so, Lord, I pray you'd embolden your church in this day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand?